0: The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church.
1: Praise the Lord that He is so merciful to us, and He's merciful so that we will be merciful to others as well. And I hope we remember that as we live out our walk with each other and our neighbors. Uh, We welcome you here this morning. If you're new to our church family, we'd love for you to take time to fill out the card. You'll find it in the chair in front of you or download our church app. You can let us know there. There's a welcome section and all the information that you'd like to have about our church, you can find there. You can listen to the sermons. You can take notes. You can find all the registration forms and you can hear about the events that are coming up. And I just want to share a few of those with you right now. Uh, Camp Newtomik last week we had uh, Anna Laldon share about her time with Camp Newtomik and we just want to let you know that uh, This coming Saturday they have their gala at the uh, Aviation uh, Museum of Western Canada, and so if you'd like to buy tickets for that, please do so again. It's uh, Saturday October the 29th reception is at 6 and dinner is at 7. We also want to give you a little save the date for a concert that's going to be coming up here in our church. Steve Bell on Sunday, November the 27th. We'll be having a concert here at 7.30. You can buy tickets online. They're $25 at stevebell.com, and we have uh, limited tickets here at the church, so feel free to uh, call us as well and get your tickets. I want to just share the kind of exciting news is that we're halfway through our life path journey as of this week this Wednesday will be our fourth meal and I hope that you've had a chance to come and enjoy a meal together and stay afterwards whether it's for English conversation circles or precept or our discipleship groups and we hope that you're making really good use of your time with the Lord and his word with the aim not only to connect with him but to be learning something that you get excited about saying I can share this with someone else Who will want to listen who will want to receive from me and so please just uh, Treasure the time that we have in this season of our life path journey, and you're able to join at any time So if you haven't participated up till now just know you're always welcome to come to the table And you're always welcome to a discipleship group on Wednesday nights Uh, The last thing to say is just about uh, an opportunity to worship God through our giving uh, this morning, I was reading Psalm 50, verse 23. The whole psalm deals with God saying, I don't need offerings that show are out of obligation or out of thinking I need this. I own everything. I own everything in this world. It belongs to me. But then he says, those who honor me, who bring offering to show thanks, I, God, will see them who do that and save them. And so our, our offering, our giving is an act of worship. Just to acknowledge that everything we have, we're stewards of God And we're just rightfully showing that we trust him and we depend on him with that. Let's pray together Father this morning, we thank you for your mercy that comes at no cost Well comes at a great cost from you We thank you for how loving you are that you would extend yourself to us We often talk about welcoming you to this place But the greatest thing of all is that you welcome us into your presence and so this morning, we accept that, Lord. We say we want to be in your presence. We desire to worship you. We want to be filled with your Holy Spirit so that we are overflowing with abundant life so that the world around us too might know you and come to accept you as their Lord and Savior and you receive the glory that you're due. Lord, we just humbly come to you now and we ask that you have your way in us and that you bless yourself through our lives together. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stay standing for the reading of Scripture now.
2: The reading from Scripture is Matthew 6, 1 to 18, out of the ESV version. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others." Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The Word of the Lord.
0: Before we get into the message this morning, I'd like to just have a have a, just a family moment. Uh, many of you know uh, Rick and Phyllis Bedick. Uh, they attended our church for, for quite a number of years in the past, and, and then they were called off to be a pastoral couple in, in a number of different churches in Canada, and most recently had moved back to Winnipeg again so that Rick could be the chaplain at Meadowood Manor, our personal care home that we support as a church. And uh, this this past week, Phyllis, uh, passed away unexpectedly after a very short, uh, very short couple of days of not feeling well. And uh, it's just been a really big shock to, to the family and to everyone. Uh, Rick certainly certainly knows that, that she is in the presence of Jesus. Uh, that has been her life, Christ has been her life, and there's joy in that. But at the same time is that Rick, Rick has lost his best friend and he's lost his teammate. And, uh, and he's having a rough time. So I just invite us to keep Rick in prayer. Uh, there's gonna be a funeral service for, for Phyllis in Steinbeck. That's one of the churches where they pastored in a while back. Uh, and that's gonna be this coming Friday morning at 11 a.m. at the EMC church in Steinbeck and that's at 422 Main Street. So that's Friday at 11 for those who, uh, who would like to attend. And I'd like to take a moment just to pray for them and for us before we get into the message this morning. So please join with me in prayer. Father, I thank you that you love us so very much. And I thank you that your love for us and our relationship with you transcends this life, that we can look forward to experiencing your great love and being in the presence of Christ for all of eternity. And we thank you that that is the experience of everyone who's put their faith in you and who has passed on, including now Phyllis and we thank you for that. But we pray for Rick right now as he is, is beginning a new season and as he's grieving and as he's planning a funeral and all of those things, I pray that you would meet him where he is with your mercy and your love and your comfort and you would give him what you know that he needs. And uh, I pray for all those who, who know Phyllis as well that you would just meet us where we are too. And I pray that you'd bless this morning and this message. I thank you for the message of Matthew chapter six. I thank you for what you have for us today and I pray that you would make your message clear, God. I thank you that you're in charge of all of these things. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Over the past few weeks, we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount, which is in the book of Matthew. And this is the account of Jesus sitting on the mountainside and he's he's speaking to the people on the mountainside and teaching them. And as we have seen so far, The content of the Sermon on the Mount has really been mostly about what it is to live as part of God's kingdom, and specifically what it means to live righteously. There's been a lot of talk about the word righteous and what it is to live a righteous life in a way that honors God. And we began back in chapter five with the Beatitudes, uh, two weeks ago where Jesus is talking about what it is to live righteously at our core, in our character, and in our attitudes, and in our inner life, and, and last week also uh, was about our inner life. As uh, Pastor Terry walked us through that passage, it's about, about how following the law is not just checking off boxes that has to do with our outward behavior, but rather uh, it's about honoring God with the righteousness that comes from our, from our hearts on the inside, what is true in our motives and in our focus. And then in between those two weeks, we had another sermon, another passage that was a little bit more of of an outward focused sermon because it was about how we are to be salt and light in the world around us, to have influence for the kingdom of God in the world around us. And from that passage, you're going to remember these words Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven, so that they may see. And we've heard uh, the passage this morning that Gary read. Thanks for reading that, Gary. Uh, it actually said Matthew 5 on the heading. That's on me. It's supposed to be Matthew 6 that we read this morning. Uh, and, uh, and so we heard that from Gary. And if you were listening to that scripture and you just listened to the words that I just said, uh, you might notice at first glance it might feel like there's a bit of a discrepancy. Because now Jesus is saying, in contrast to what he said in our, in our sermon two weeks ago about letting our light shine before men so that they may see our good deeds. Now he's saying, don't be like the hypocrites who do their acts of righteousness so that people will see. Don't do that, don't let people see what you are doing when you are doing acts of devotion to God. And how do we make sense of that? Why does this suddenly sound so different? Well, I would say that if we read this closely, we will see that it really isn't that different. Uh, Two weeks ago, Pastor Terry showed us about how being salt and light is not about drawing attention to ourselves. Salt is invisible. Salt is something that you put into food and it, it changes the food, it changes the environment and then it's gone. And light, well, light is only effective if it is shining on something and it does no good in illuminating the darkness at all if we're just shining the light on ourselves. And so we learn that in order to be salt and light, we are to focus on God and obey God and then let God take care of whatever our influence is going to be for the kingdom of God. Here's a picture of a, of a sunset. A beautiful picture. Actually, it was taken on our church property, uh, just over the lake from the, from the west parking lot. Um, praise God for his creation, and praise God for, for this beautiful space that he's blessed us with. And here is now another picture of a sunset. Well, it's actually somebody's picture of themselves admiring a sunset, and I guess it's still a sunset. It's a nice picture, I think. I think it's still a sunset, but really, it's kind of more of a picture of a person. And you can bet that the person in that picture is very well aware that they are the person in that picture. And if our way of living a Christian life is primarily focused on thinking about what we are doing, if it's primarily about looking at ourselves living a Christian life, then we're completely missing the point of it. Then it's kind of like we are admiring ourselves, admiring a sunset. And not only are we missing the sunset, But if we are living our our Christian life that way, then we're getting in the way of other people seeing the sunset as well. If we're living our Christian life in such a way that our hearts are focused on all of the glory being for God, then that's admiring the sunset directly. And that's pointing to that sunset for others to admire directly. And that is kingdom righteousness. When it's all about him and it's not About us. And so today's passage, uh, Matthew 6, verses 1 to 18, is really just more of that, except for this time with a greater emphasis on what we truly miss, what we truly miss out on if we are focusing on the wrong thing. And we'll start with verse 1. And this verse serves really well as, as a summary verse for everything that's about to follow. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And that's it. If you wanted to put the entire passage from today into one sentence, that's exactly it. That's what it is. And then he goes on to illustrate this this point by using three examples. And it's brilliant, the examples that he's using, because he points to three practices that were well known at the time in devotional life in Jewish culture. So his listeners were very well aware of them, and they're still well known to us in our Christian culture as we're we're following Christ. And these three examples are giving, praying, and fasting. And actually, uh, this passage isn't really about giving. And praying and fasting. We're not going to get into the weeds today of what it, what it means to, to, to give and what it means to fast. We'll talk a bit more about prayer, but that's not what the intent of this is. The intent of this passage is to look at our hearts the way that God looks at our hearts and our motives when we serve God. And so he's using these three examples, and he does it in a way that's super interesting. He uses a pattern uh, where he talks about each of these things separately, but with very similar, similar language. So he's basically uh, doing the same narrative three times in a row. And all three times, it has some of the same, the same pieces to it. So we're gonna rip through those, those, that, that pattern. So for all three of those things, he says, when, he starts with when, always, when you do this, when you give to the needy, when you pray, when you, when you fast, don't do it like those people do. Don't, be, don't do it like the hypocrites do, because they're doing it so that people will see them do it. And when they do that, they have received the reward in full. And instead, do it this other way, in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And he runs through that exact pattern of seven things, three times, and now we're going to take a look at each piece. He always starts with the word when. He doesn't say the word if, but he says when. Jesus assumes that giving and praying and fasting are things that we are going to do to honor, to honor him, part of how we live a life of devotion to God. And the second part of the pattern is this, don't do it like the hypocrites do because they just want to be seen by others. And then he paints some pictures, some elaborate pictures that really actually seem a little bit bizarre when you stop and think about it. In the case of giving to the needy, he describes a man going into the street and into the synagogue with an entourage, with, with trumpets playing before him, drawing attention to himself so that people can see him give as he puts money in the, in the offering plate. Or in verse 5, he talks about people standing on the street corner, shouting out their prayers so that everybody can see how devout they are. And then in verse 16, it's the people who are fasting, but they're broadcasting to the world that they're fasting by disfiguring their faces. Uh, Some commentators think that maybe even they're putting ashes on their faces to appear more pale, or covering their heads with sackcloths to appear more penitent. And we've probably seen this passage so often that we might not realize how incredibly absurd all of that is. You picture this pompous buffoon of a man walking down the street with trumpets so that people will see him completely full of himself. So much so that he needs to have a band in order to, uh, to give money to the needy. And it seems absurd. And actually some different Bible commentators have different opinions about whether it actually did look that way. or whether this is just a bit of a glimpse of Jesus' sense of humor and he's, he's creating this over-the-top word picture in order to make a point, And I don't know which one that is and actually it doesn't really matter because I think that we already all know that we don't need trumpets to be hypocrites. Seeking glory for ourselves can be so subtle and so quiet and so carefully hidden that most times others won't know when we're doing it. We can look completely holy on the outside. We can be serving, we can be looking like we're serving Christ with all of our heart, and maybe we're not, and nobody else might know. In fact, we're so good at hiding it that we might not even know, and that's a sin. It's a sin that we sometimes call image management. Maybe that's a term you've heard before. Uh, it's a term that I've, I've heard more recently, more often. An image management Is about adjusting what people see of us in order to enhance the impression that they have of us in the way that we want them to see us. And I suspect that's a game that all of us know how to play a little bit, because it's so easy to slip into a mindset of focusing on what people are thinking of us, to become self-conscious instead of God-conscious. And maybe it's a craving for accolades, so that we feel better about ourselves, or, or maybe it's just a temptation to impress that one person that doesn't seem to like us very much. And actually, image management isn't even necessarily about making ourselves look great. Sometimes it can work the other way, where, where we might become preoccupied with just not trying to look dumb in front of other people. That's how I'm tempted to feel every time that Terry asks me to preach. But seriously, that's, that's, that's a kind of self-conscious, self-consciousness that, if I'm not careful, uh, can take me away from focusing on, on giving glory to Jesus and instead focus on myself. And that's a serious thing. And image management can be exhausting. I bet we all know this too if we stop and think about it. It can be exhausting. Uh, before, before I was a pastor, uh, for quite a few years I was a clinical uh, counselor. And without getting into any details, I I once talked to a person who was so preoccupied with what people thought of them, what they thought of how they looked, that it dictated just about every aspect of their life. I think they woke up thinking about that. I think they went to bed thinking about that. I think that was most of what was on their mind. And it struck me one time when they said that they just wished they could, could go live by themselves on a desert island where there was nobody else, because then they would finally be free from all of the work of trying to control everybody else's impression of them. Image management takes effort. When we are managing our image, it's like trying to build a a house of cards, a, a shaky house of cards, our own little castle of what people see of us, or what we want people to see of us, at least. Instead of building the kingdom, in God's honor. In- instead of focusing on what God is doing in building this-, this kingdom for Christ, we can get transfixed on painstakingly stacking these little cards together and creating the image that we want people to see. And maybe we feel happy when that works, but it's a roller coaster. It's an emotional roller coaster because we also feel probably angry, sometimes sad, maybe embarrassed, when our house of cards falls down a little bit and people see our flaws. But praise God when that happens. Because it's really a blessing when our house of cards fails us. Because the more we keep building a house of cards, the more we are missing out. Because Jesus, in this passage, he makes it very clear when we are doing acts of devotion to God, but are focusing on ourselves, then we've already been paid in full. When Jesus says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward, the word have that we have in our, in our Bible is translated from the Greek word apeko, which means that the transaction is finished. It's what happens when a person's receives payment, they've given a receipt for that payment and there's just nothing else owed. In verse five, Jesus says, the hypocrites love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. And it's not that they love to to pray, it's also not that they love to stand, but he says they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. That's what they love. And I'm sure in most cases, they got what they loved because people saw them, people probably complimented them, people probably cheered them on and heralded their, their good deeds. They got what they love and it's It's the same for us. If we love to be noticed in a particular way, if we love for people to have a certain impression of us, in many cases, I'm sure we will get what we love. But that's all we will get. And if you're content with that, well, then enjoy your reward. But you're missing out. Why would we want to eat scraps on the floor of food if there is a feast of food to be eaten? Now, here's a question that perhaps some of you might already be asking. Doesn't it seem maybe hypocritical, this idea that we should focus on God instead of ourselves so that we get a reward? I've heard people ask that question before. I've asked that question before. Uh, at first blush, it kind of seems like a, like a wrong-thinking kind of thing, like maybe a hypocritical kind of thing. But I don't think it is. And in order to talk about why, we need to think about what reward means And different Bible commentators have different opinions about what reward means in this passage. Uh, It seems like no matter which commentary you read, somebody else is saying something different. But in this case, and this isn't usually the case, because usually there's just one one answer to a question quite often when it comes to looking at scripture, in this case, I think most of them are biblically right in, in what they see as reward in this passage. First of all, one of the of the rewards for serving is simply the joy of serving. Jesus is quoted in Acts 20 as having said, it is more blessed to give than to receive, because it is. Part of the reward of giving to those in need is to see someone experience relief from that need, and that's a beautiful thing. I think God rewards us with seeing fruition when we, when we serve him. Secondly, there's a great joy in obeying God and doing something that he's asked us to do, knowing that Christ has been honored because we were obedient And may God increase our longing to see him honored. And as he does, may we see that more and more as a reward for putting him first. Thirdly, obedience requires trust. And trusting God gives us front row seats to seeing him work. Last Sunday we sang the hymn Trust and Obey, which is one of my favorites. And I shared about how the process of trusting and obeying, the process of putting ourselves out there, taking risks to do what God's called us to do. When we do that, we get to see, in that process, we, we get to see him do things. We get to see him carry us because, we've, because we're trusting him. We get to see him do the heavy lifting in the actual thing. It isn't, it isn't us that accomplishes things for God's kingdom, it's God, and so when we trust and obey, we get to see God and we get to have front row seats of seeing how he works, and that is how we get to know him more in that is quite a reward. And then fourthly, we need to talk about heavenly rewards. But let's be clear, when we talk about the idea of receiving rewards in heaven related to our serving Christ on earth, we're not talking about salvation. Anyone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins is safe in Christ and can look forward to eternity with Christ and joy with Christ forever and ever, and nobody's gonna take that away from you. This is, this is different than that. Uh, there's quite a lot of scriptural evidence for other additional rewards that are actually related to our time here on earth, and we're gonna take a look at a couple of verses that we can find just in the book of Matthew alone to support that. In Matthew 16, we read, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will will repay each person according to what he has done. In Matthew 19, Jesus says to his disciples, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Or in Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable of a man who, in the story, represents Christ returning to bring the saints home to glory, a man who rewards his servant for his good work while he was away, And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things and I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Those who have been faithful will be put in charge of many things. That's gonna be our experience one day, being in the presence of Christ. Just now I think about Phyllis, I think about Bob, in the presence of Christ, and I think about the words, well done, good and faithful servant, and I think about the joy of being responsible for many things that have to do with giving Christ glory. In all of these rewards, the earthly ones, and the heavenly ones that we talked about. Whether it be the joy of serving Jesus, the joy of being obedient to him, the joy of trusting him and seeing him come through over and over and over and helping us glorify him more, or the joy of having more, responsible and more responsibility in honoring him in heaven. Whatever kind of reward we're talking about here, all of those are biblical. And for each one of them, the bottom line is this, that the reward for focusing on Jesus is more Jesus. If honoring Jesus is what you love, you will get more of what you love. When I was eight years old, I had a hockey career. It didn't last until I was nine, it was just a very short, short career. And uh, at the end of that year, I I got a trophy, and I I should have brought it, but I didn't. It's in my garage. (laughs) It's got a a hockey player on top. Uh, It just occurs to me that if Kevin Schuler, our old youth pastor, would be watching this service right now, he'd be laughing his lungs out (laughs) at the fact that I have a hockey trophy. (laughs) Because uh, I was not very competitive as an eight-year-old boy, and the hockey trophy had nothing to do with my skills or my abilities to play hockey, I got the sportsmanship trophy. And I know why I got it. I got it because you don't get into much trouble in a hockey game when you're skating around and watching the clock go down. (laughs) Because that's what I did. So I got a trophy for that. But it's just a trophy. It's not really, to me, connected to anything. It's not connected to my eight-year-old career of hockey. It's not, it's not connected to anything, really. It's, it's a trophy. It's, it's, it's an award. But I wouldn't say it's a reward. Because in contrast, in a couple of weeks, uh, my wife, Lynelle and I are celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Praise God. And on the day of our anniversary, no one's going to be handing out ribbons or trophies, although you could argue that Lynelle deserves a medal, probably for being married to me for so long, Uh, but the reward for working on a marriage isn't that. The reward for working on a marriage for 25 years is to be in that marriage and to be in a marriage where you've worked on it for 25 years and you've been building in how you trust each other, you've been building in how you love each other, you've been building in how you honour each other and think of each other. That's the reward. The reward for marriage for 25 years is more marriage, And it's kind of like that. It's kind of like that in what we're talking about today in Matthew chapter six. The reward for living a devotional life that honors Christ is a greater opportunity to know and honor Christ. But oh, how our pride can get in the way of that. We we move so easily from focusing on Christ to looking at how we are focusing on Christ, like admiring ourselves, admiring a sunset. It happens just like that. So what can we do about that? Well, Jesus gives us some practical advice in this passage uh, three times. In verse 3, he says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And this is really about choosing to hide something even from ourselves. Now, of course, when we give money to, to the church or to people or to ministry, it's unlikely that we're going to, forget that we did that, and for budgeting purposes it's probably better to not forget that you did that, but uh, we need to discipline ourselves to not dwell on it, to not keep thinking about it, to not congratulate ourselves for it, because it's the self-focus that kills us. Actually, Dietrich Bonhoeffer would even say that whether or not people see us, even in this passage, whether or not people see us, is actually immaterial. Sometimes people will know that you gave. Sometimes people might figure out that you're fasting. Sometimes people might see you praying. But the real issue is whether we are focused on God or on ourselves. Bonhoeffer says, if the left hand knows what the right hand is doing, if we become conscious of our hidden virtue, we are forging our own reward instead of that which God intended to give us in his own good time. But if we are content to carry on with our life hidden from our eyes, we shall receive our reward openly from God. If we find ourselves dwelling on any good thing that we have done, if we are patting ourselves on the back or obsessing about how we did or hoping that somebody saw what we did, then we need, we need, to take those thoughts to the sin-killing floor, like Pastor Terry often says. Take those thoughts to Jesus and confess it. And he will forgive us. Remember, God doesn't convict us of things in order to condemn us. God convicts his children of things in order to invite us. To invite us to bring those things to him so that he can help us, he can heal us, he can set us back on the path of, of honoring him more. We are all works in progress, at the best of times we are all mixed bags of motives, but God's working on us. And so we take these thoughts captive when we realize that we're focusing, I'm focusing a bit too much on me right now. I'm thinking a little bit too much about what I wish I would have said or I wish I would have done or what people think of what I did or what I had done. That's when we take Take that to the sin-killing floor, that's when we take that to Jesus, that's when we ask for forgiveness. I'm the worship pastor here, and uh, when we talk together as worship leaders about leading worship, this is one of the things that we talk about, about how every time we are doing something that is for God, and especially if we're doing something that is for God, but it's visible to somebody else, and, and worship leading is pretty visible. Then, there, then there's a temptation, it's a real temptation to start monitoring ourselves, to become self-conscious instead of God-conscious. And we have to keep bringing that to him over and over and over as many times as we need to. And again, he will forgive us, and he will help us, and he'll set us on the right path. And it's the same for all of us, no matter how private our, our acts of devotion are or how public our acts of devotion are. I think for any one of us, whether or not people see isn't actually the main issue, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. I think that we can get lost in focusing on ourselves. In verse six, Jesus says another piece of practical advice. He says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And the Greek word that is used for the word room in this verse was a word that referred to a storeroom where you kept your valuables, where, where, where your treasures were kept. And if God is the true focus of our prayer time, then the treasure is great because that's when we commune with him most. That's, like John Stott says, that's, that's like coming home. When we are praying to God and our focus is on God, that's, that's as close to coming home as we get in this life. And just to be clear, uh, Jesus is not saying that we should never pray around other people. We gather here on Sundays like we are today, we gather here on Wednesdays for come to the table, and after that we have discussion groups. Lots of you are gathering in homes for life groups or Bible study groups, and you've got friendship groups where you get together and, and you pray, and you should. We're supposed to. Scripture is full of examples of people praying together. Here, Jesus is talking mostly about private prayer, not corporate prayer, but in either case, of course, God is the focus and not us. And, and I, think, I think it's kind of like when, uh, when Jesus says it's easier for uh, a camel to go through an eye of, eye of a needle than a rich man to get into the kingdom of God. He's not saying that it's inherently evil to have things or to, to have have some wealth, he's not saying that, but he's saying that it's harder, in that case, it's harder to, to be uh, dependent on God when we have this temptation that we can be self-sufficient if, if, if we are rich. And this is very similar to that, I think. Uh, it is not wrong to pray in front of other people. Uh, people, uh, people need to pray on behalf of groups sometimes, and in fact, I think that's some of our special times in our church family. But it's harder because it's something that's visible to others, and it's, it's something that might lead us to be more self-conscious and less God-conscious. And then finally, in verse 17, Jesus says, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Now, again, there were people who were making themselves look as, as pitiful and pathetic as they possibly could, And Jesus is saying, no, business as usual. If you're doing something for me like that, wash your face, comb your hair. Uh, If bathing is something that you regularly do, and I hope that it is, then keep doing that. If you're fasting, you don't have to stop doing those things. Uh, We don't want to draw attention to ourselves. Uh, similarly, we're we're not to walk around complaining how hungry we are when we're fasting because that draws attention too. And attention invites temptation and the temptation is to focus on us. So all of this in this passage this morning that we've talked about so far is about surrendering our will to God's will, living out our devotional life for the right audience, not the people around us, Not even ourselves, but our God, who sees in secret and rewards us. And I want to finish off with two things that I think will help us to surrender ourselves, or help us in that process of surrendering ourselves to focusing on Jesus and not us. And the first is just a very simple reminder. A reminder that what gives you and I value, what gives you and I meaning, isn't what people think of us anyways. It's not the accolades that we receive. It's not even our own estimation of our own accomplishments. We are in Christ now. And our value is found in the fact that we are in Christ now, that we are children of God. Our value is found in the fact that it's it's his glory and not ours. Our glory is is Christ glorified. And I've used this analogy before, I think, here. Uh, This is a tape measure. Uh, when our son Josh was a toddler, he called this uh, a number house. Smart kid, because it kind of is that—it's a house full of numbers. Uh, if this is what measures who, you, if, if this measures what you are, if this measures what you are worth, I am not qualified to use this, and you are not even qualified to use this to measure yourself and what you're worth. No one you know is qualified to use this except for God. This is for God to use to measure what your worth is. And he says who we are. And because he says who we are, we don't need to look elsewhere for evidence of that. We don't need to adjust our house of cards. We don't need to adjust our image in order to get a response from someone else. His response to us about that is actually enough. And then finally, uh, here is the Lord's Prayer. It's the one part of this passage that we haven't talked about yet and one of the reasons for that is that it doesn't fit into the pattern the same way. Uh, Jesus talked about those three things and one of those things he he mentions twice. He, he he talks about he he has a paragraph once. Well, in our in our scripture we see a paragraph once about about giving to the needy and then we see two two portions that that's about praying and then we see the one at the end that's about, that's about fasting. And the second of the two portions about praying is a little bit of an outlier. It's, it's a little bit different because he's, because he's not warning us about doing things so that others will see. He is talking about people who yammer on and on when they pray because they think that to use many words they're going to earn God's ear more. He's gonna hear them better if they use lots of words. And so in this passage he provides us with what we call the Lord's Prayer. And it's not that we need to pray these exact words when we pray, and we know that already. It's a, this is a framework. And the, the beauty of this is that it's also, it's also a framework for a God-centered life. It's a framework for God-centered prayer, to be sure, but it's also a framework for God-centered life. Because when we say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are orienting, Orientating ourselves to Him. It's, it's from being self-conscious to being God conscious. When we say, Give us this day our daily bread, we are recognizing that we are completely dependent. Completely dependent on God for our daily needs, for the air that we breathe, for the the amount of days that we have on this earth. That is enough to us. So when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, that's again, that's us orientating ourselves. To God, because it is us depending on him. And when we ask him to forgive us for our, our, our debts, for our sins, that's the same. We are recognizing that we completely need him for that. We can't earn our salvation. We can't earn God's favor. We're not gonna earn our way to heaven by going to church and helping people across the street or whatever we do. We need his forgiveness. And we also need his Holy Spirit to sanctify us more and more so that we have the capacity to readily forgive those who have debts against us. And we pray that God will protect us from the evil one who seeks to diminish our joy in Christ by way of distraction and pride and fear. And we pray that God will help us to overcome temptation so that we might glorify him more. This is a prayer that is completely about us centering our hearts on God. And it's a prayer that's completely a way for us to to center our lives on God. And so one of the challenges that you're gonna see in the, in the sermon notes this week as you get together for your groups is just to reflect on the Lord's Prayer and to, to ask yourself, to talk about, in what ways is this the framework for my life? Because this is his kingdom and his glory forever and ever. Christian prayer and Christian life is to be focused on pleasing our audience of one preoccupied with his glory and his abilities and not ours, amen. As the worship team comes forward just now, I'm gonna leave you with, uh, again, it's gonna be on your sermon notes and you're probably gonna reflect on this during the week, but the challenge at at the end of it. Take any area of your spiritual life and see if you catch yourself doing something in order to be seen by others. And if you do, we don't need to be scandalized by our sin because Jesus has already died for our sin. Just confess it to God. He'll put you back on the path, and then do it again. Continue continue serving him, but just focus more and more on putting him first. Do it by him and for him and unto him. Amen.
1: Father, thank you so much that it has nothing to do with us and everything to do with you. And I pray that you would just work on each one of us um, to get rid of our pride so that you would be glorified more through us. And thank you that you love us so much and that you're so merciful towards us.
2: In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.